<laughs> well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Berlin Christian Church, where our mission is to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. My name is Michael Hennen, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at BCC. And what I wanted to tell you today, what I wanted to remind you today, is that we are in a war. We are in a war, which is kind of a weird thing to say on Mother's Day, and also just kind of a weird thing to say as Christians, because for the first three and four centuries, Christians were pretty much pacifists. They didn't engage in war. And yet, most of the New Testament has a lot of images about how we are in war. We're in war, but this war isn't against China or Russia. We're in a war, but this war isn't against the political right or the political left. No, this is a war for our souls. We hear about this war and a whole bunch of different passages. The book of Revelation talks about it pretty much from the beginning to end, but probably the most famous passage in the New Testament that talks about this war is Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 that say this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. No, our war is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. It is a war for our souls. But it's not just our souls. It's other people's souls, too. So what do we do as we're in the middle of this war? We know that Jesus has already come. He has already conquered the grave. He's resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven. He has already won the victory. But in the meantime, we are in the battlefield. And so until Jesus returns, what do we do in this war where our souls are at stake and other people's souls are at stake? Well, we witness. We witness to Jesus. We share about Jesus. We testify to who he is and what he has done in this war we witness. And so today we are beginning a new series as we're coming out of the Easter season and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're thinking about how, where, what do we do now? Well, we witness. And so we're going to be going through three books over the next three weeks. I bet you're excited about that. They're not very long though. Second John, Third John, and Jude is what we're going to be focusing on over the next three weeks. But today, we're going to be in Second John. So if you want to turn your Bibles, it's in the very back of your Bible, very back, real itty-bitty book, Second John. And as you're turning there, I, I want to summarize the sermon in this sentence. Our weapons for witness are truth and love. Our weapons for witness are our truth, and love. We don't really know a whole lot about Second John. A lot of people think that Second John was written by the Apostle John. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote these three letters at the end of our Bibles, First John, Second John, and Third John. But we don't really know much about Second John. We probably guesstimate it was written about 85 to 90 AD, so we're talking 60-ish years after Jesus or so. We don't even know exactly where the church is located that he's writing to, but one thing we do know about Second John is that John loves this church like a mother with her children. 
like a father with his children. John loves this church, and he wants what is best for his church. And so he begins his letter by saying this, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. He's probably not writing to an actual lady. He's probably writing to the church. That's what he's talking about. The lady is the church chosen by God and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. And so you can hear the affection that John has for this church. And what I want you to notice in those three verses is the emphasis on truth. Four times in those three verses, we hear about truth. John loves them in the truth. He wants them to know the truth. It's because of the truth that they can live forever, and God will be with them in truth and love. John wants to emphasize to these people he loves so dearly the truth, which really shouldn't surprise us because if you count up all the times, some of you should do this when you go home, when you count up all the times that truth is used in the gospel of John and in the letters of John, 45 different times, John talks about the truth. And in his gospel, he actually says that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the truth. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is in one of the last conversations with his disciples before he's going to be crucified, and he tells them that he is going to go prepare a place for them. And the disciples, they're confused, like many of us probably would be, and they're like, Thomas, he goes, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. How are we supposed to know the way? And that's when Jesus says his famous line, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself is the truth, but not just Jesus, but also the Holy Spirit. In this exact same conversation, just a a couple chapters later on John chapter 16, Jesus begins to talk to his followers and he tells them, hey, I'm actually, I'm going to go to that place. And when I go, it's going to be better for you that I'm not on earth anymore, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, right? That Jesus is not going to be on earth anymore and it's better for his followers. How? Well, because instead of just being here in the flesh, Jesus is going to send his spirit to live inside every single one of us. And so Jesus begins to describe this helper, the Holy Spirit, and says this in John chapter 16, verse 13. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so both Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are uh, full of truth. And so as followers of Jesus, John wants his church to walk in truth and to be full of truth. John wants to emphasize truth, but not only truth, because truth by itself can be harsh. No, John wants his followers to walk in both truth and love. I once saw a uh, preacher, Caleb Kaltenbach, he grabbed a rubber band like this. And he said, over here on this side, we have truth. If all you have is truth, it's harsh. There's no power in it. It's like you have a Bible and you're just hitting people on the back of the heads with it. I mean, there's no power in truth by itself. But if you come over here on this side of the rubber band, And just have love, at least the way that the world views love, it's just tolerant. 
And you just affirm people and you never ask them to change. But what he says is that our our witness as Christians is powerful when we live in the tension of both truth and love. I wanted to shoot this at somebody, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Our witness is most powerful when we live in both truth and love. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, on marriage, it's going to be up on the screen. But he says this. He says, love without truth, over here, is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us the merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent just as jesus lived in the tension of both truth and love as his followers we are called to do the exact same thing too our witness is strongest when we live in both truth and love and that's what the next couple verses are talking about look at verse four through six with me. The whole first six verses can probably be summarized. Walk in truth and love. Walk in truth and love. Verse four says, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. This is a, an allusion back to, Je- or to John chapter 13. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. John knows that our witness as Christians is better and stronger and more powerful if we live in the tension between truth and love. And this kind of love is a cross-shaped action. Kevin Telmer is a pastor and he says, love is a cross-shaped action that goes up and gives glory to God, but it also is horizontal. It goes out and blesses other people. Love is cross-shaped action, gives glory to God, goes up, and it's horizontal and blesses other people. And in our text, verse 5, we see the horizontal aspect of this kind of love. Look back at verse 5 with me. He says, I ask that we love one another. Too oftentimes in our Christian journey, we just think that, oh, I've been saved, and that just matters for me. No, no, John is pushing his followers to say, you need to love other people. You need to bless other people. You need to serve other people. But how do we know what this looks like? Well, he tells us in the letter before this, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, another John 3.16 famous verse, this time in 1 John 3.16, and here's what he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us all. True love always begins and ends by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. But then listen to what he says next. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's not just about me and my personal salvation. No, this has effects for how I treat everyone else. And then in verse 17 and 18, he gets really practical. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love must be horizontal. 
It must bless other people. It must serve other people. It must help other people. Love is a cross-shaped action that goes out and blesses other people. But verse 6 shows us the vertical aspect of this cross-shaped action. Look at verse 6 with me. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Love is also vertical. We show Jesus that we love him by listening to what he has to say. He's so clear in this short but impactful verse. John chapter 14, verse 15, he says this to his disciples. If you love me, if you really love me, keep my commands. If you really love me, do what I say. We actually show people that we love them by listening to them and by doing what they say. Teens in the room, I know there's not quite as many of you in here because of after prom, but teens in the room, you show your parents you love them by listening to them and doing what they say. I messed this up too many times in my childhood. Don't talk to my mother. Okay? Adults in the room, you show people you love them by listening to them and by doing what they say. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to our witness, we show Jesus and other people that we love Jesus by doing what he says. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation, we can never do that, but because we trust him and we love him. And so, love is both vertical, gives glory to God, and also is horizontal and helps other people. And so uh, the first half of Second John can be summarized by just saying, walk in truth and love. Walk in truth and love. Our weapons for witness are truth and love. But then in verse 7, there's a transition in the letter. Verse 7 highlights for us what's actually going on in this church. There are some deceivers who are lying about who Jesus is. And so the rest of the letter can probably, probably be summarized. Watch out for lies. Not only walk in truth and love, but watch out for lies. Look at verse 7 with me. John says, I say this about walking in truth and love because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. That's a pretty harsh statement. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And so the reason that John is writing to this church is because there are many deceivers, many liars, many antichrists, which just means people who are against Christ, saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And that's a pretty big deal. Because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is both 100% God, 100% divine, and also 100% man. Jesus Christ was born in the flesh. He lived in the flesh. He died in the flesh, and he resurrected in the flesh. And if we don't believe that, that changes the way that we view our own bodies and the way that we look at other people's bodies. If we don't believe that Jesus resurrected in the flesh and came in the flesh, then that changes his sacrifice on the cross for us because he has not been tempted like us in every way and yet did not sin. If Jesus did not come in the flesh, then he could not be our perfect sacrifice because he would have to become like us to be our perfect sacrifice. What we believe about Jesus is pretty important, probably the most important thing about us. 
And so John is very careful about who he lets his church listen to. He does not want these deceivers to lead his people astray, these people that he loves so dearly. And so he tells them to watch out for lies about Jesus. But what really struck me as I was working through this sermon over the last couple weeks is verse 9. Because the overwhelming uh, message of the New Testament is to be someone who's hospitable, someone who loves the outsider, someone who's always welcoming other people in. But listen to what John says in verses 9 through 11. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. It's really hard to walk with God if you're running out in front of him. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Here it is. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So what John is saying here is don't you dare welcome in those liars, those deceivers into your own home, because if you do, then you are going to become like them. You share in their wicked work. And I have to be honest, as I was wrestling with this sermon, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because I grew up in a home where my mom and dad, they were always about hospitality. They were always about welcoming people in, sharing food with other people, inviting people into our lives. And isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Aren't we supposed to eat with the sinners and welcome them in, love them into the kingdom of God? And if that's the question, that's an emphatic yes. Yes, we are supposed to do that. But this is a different situation. We're not talking about a sinner that needs to be loved into the kingdom of God, we are talking about someone who's already on the inside and they are spreading their poison, their poisonous lies to other believers. A threat is more powerful when it comes from the inside, not the outside. And so John says, don't you dare have anything to do with them. I was talking with Warren this week and he he reminded me of this image, this image of a pollutant. I just want you to imagine with me that uh, Curran Water District, that they put some poison in their water. For those of you out of state that are here, that's just over there like 10 miles or so. And just imagine that they put some poison in that water, and at first we would have no idea. And so we would drink that water, we would uh, wash and bathe in that water, we would give that water to our plants and our animals, and it would take a couple days, maybe even weeks, for us to realize that we're sick that this water has been polluted. And at that point, it's already too late. You can't do anything. I think John knows that if he allows these deceivers, these liars, these antichrists, a place in their homes, it's going to be too late for his people because the lies about Jesus will poison them. These lies about Jesus will affect the way that they live their lives. And John knows, he actually knows, that it's not really the deceivers who are the problem. They are the problem, but there's a root behind that problem. His name is the devil, (laughs) the Satan. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about this force that is hard to see, 
but it was full of lies. Listen to these words. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is talking to some Jewish leaders, and he says this. He's talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Jesus Christ is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, but this guy, he has no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies, and his main weapon against our souls and against our witness is deception, is lies. John Mark Comer, he recently wrote a book called Live No Lies. It's a fantastic book. I read the whole thing to prepare for this sermon, and this is all John Mark Comer gets. He gets one sentence. Here it is. The devil's, it's a really great book though, you should read it. The devil's method is lies. His primary stratagem, his go-to signature move is deception. Jesus sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. The devil knows that if he can spread his deception, if he can spread his lies, then that will change the way that we live our lives and it will ultimately destroy our witness. And so John is very careful about what he allows the people he loves most to hear from these deceivers. And the thing about deception is that it's mostly true. If you think about that Curran Water District, most of the stuff coming to our homes would have been water with an itty-bitty trace of poison. That's what makes it so dangerous. And that's what makes deception so dangerous. It's mostly true, but then at the end, it's a lie. Yeah, Jesus is divine in these guys' eyes, but he's not fully human. Satan deceives us by making us think that something is mostly true, even though there's a little bit that's not true. So John is careful because he knows that what we believe determines who we become. What we believe determines our behavior. The stories that we tell ourselves dictate the kind of life that we live. So John says, hey, watch out for lies. Don't even give these deceivers a step into your home. So walk in truth and love. Watch out for lies. And then John, he finishes his letter yearning to be with this people that he loves so dearly. Look at verse 12 and following. He says, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. It's actually mouth to mouth, which is kind of a weird image, but it's an intimate image. Because he loves these people and he wants to be with these people so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. John desires to be with these people that he loves because he knows that our witness is strongest when in community we walk together in truth and love. John knows that our witness is strongest when as a family we walk together in truth and love. When as a community, when as a church we walk in truth and love and love together. And so John tells these followers of Jesus, hey, walk in truth and love, watch out for the lies, and can't wait to do it with you. And so we are ended, we have ended Second John. 
And when we think about the story of Second John, it can sound so remote from us because we don't really have itinerant preachers coming to our houses telling us that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. I don't know the last time you hosted somebody who was preaching that to your house and to other house churches, probably not very often. But the truth is, is that we are surrounded by lies in our culture. And those lies, they actually enslave us. Those lies we hear from the news, those lies we hear from social media, the lies that we sometimes even hear from our parents, whether they know it or not. Those lies, they enslave us and they shape the type of person that we become. And so as I was thinking about Second John, I think this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. What lie or lies have I welcomed into the home of my heart? What lies have I welcomed into the home of my heart? What lies am I allowing to shape the trajectory of my life? On the screen, there's going to be a picture of a chair. Some of you have been to our house. You've seen that chair in our corner. I love that chair because Janelle and I, uh, we were over at some friend's house in Jacksonville one night until about 8 o'clock or so. That was actually a really early night for us. Over there, we're... We can't get home before 11.30, I swear. Even if it's a school night, it's terrible. But anyways, we go over there, and we come home about 8.30, and what I immediately do after I get in our back door is I go to our guest bedroom where my closet is, and as I'm turning the corner to go to my closet, over here in the corner, I see that chair. I've never seen that chair in my life before. And so my first thought is, what in the world is going on? And my second thought is, oh yeah, I'm a youth pastor. (laughs) And so if you've probably guessed the end of the story, what happened is some of our youth kids saw this on the side of the road and (laughs) they knew where our spare, spare key was and they got into our house, put that in our guest bedroom. It was there in our corner. We still have it today. We cleaned it out. A little bit. It's a nice chair. It's pretty comfy, actually. <laughs> and so when I, when I look at that chair, I think about those squirrely kids and how sometimes I want to beat them, but still love them. But I also think about all the different people who we've welcomed into our home who've sat in that chair. All the different people that we've had in our homes, that we've welcomed in, that we were able to bless because of that chair. And as I was working on this sermon, I was looking over at that chair, and I just thought, what if that chair represents not people, but lies? Lies that I've welcomed into the home of my heart. And can I just share with you three of them? Lie number one for me is performance. Satan likes to tell me that only if I perform well will God love me. Only if I do something, achieve something great, will he love me. That's lie number one for me is performance. Lie number two for me is productivity. Satan likes to tell me that only if I produce something good will he love me. Only if I produce, 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 then if I work hard, I can rest when I'm dead. Then at the end of my life, only then will God say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lie number two for me is productivity. And lie number three for me is popularity. You know, if people like you, Michael, 
they think you're funny, if they like your personality, then you can reach more people for the gospel. Only then, if people like you, will you be able to make a difference for God's kingdom. Lie number three for me is popularity. And so these are some of the lies that I've welcomed into the home of my heart, but what about you? What are some of the lies that you've welcomed into your own heart about who you are and who God says you are? Because those two always go together. There's a book called Coming Home to Your True Self. He puts these 10 in his book. I like them because they all start with P, and I'm a preacher. I like alliteration. But in that book, he says, so often, every single one of us, we strive for some of these. We strive for some of these, and it's only until we accomplish whatever it is, only then will God love us. And so here's your homework for the day. Sorry, mothers, on Mother's Day. And students, you got one month left, but here's your homework for the day. First thing I want you to do is ask the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to help you discern which two or three of those do you struggle with most? Do you allow into the home of your heart? Secondly, I want you to ask a friend, a dear friend. Ask them to help you discern which two or three you struggle with most. And then lastly, number three, I want you to replace that lie with the truth of God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask a friend and then replace that lie with God's truth. For me, lie number one, performance. I have to remind myself that God's word says that I can't earn my salvation. It is a gift from God, Ephesians 2, chapter 8. Lie number two for me, productivity. I have to remind myself that I am not what I do. I am a beloved child of God, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. When the lie of popularity comes, I have to remind myself of God's word that I don't need other people's approval because I already have God's love, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Our weapons for witness our truth, and love. So what lies do you need to get rid of and replace with truth so that our witness can be strong? I want to conclude by some words that Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so go, live in the truth, walk in the love, and be free. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for the little books of the Bible, like Second John. Help us, Lord Jesus, to love you and to listen to you. Help us to be ready to fight the battle against the devil as he tries to put lies in our mind. Lord, bring scriptures to our minds to remind us who we truly are and who you truly are, a good and generous Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to walk in truth and love so our witness may be strong. All for your glory, King Jesus, we pray. Amen.